Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It's Wednesday, October 4th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. St. Louis officials have cleared dozens of people from a downtown homeless camp. They say shelter space is available for every person at the camp, but some are not taking the city up on the offer. I want to see where this goes from here because uh, right now, as you can see, everyone's off the grass. But what about tomorrow? Where will they be? Mayor Tashara Jones says the city took the action to save lives and protect people. Police moved in last night and put up a fence around the site near City Hall. That's where St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton picks up the story. After people cleared out, city workers dismantled, bagged, and tagged tents and other belongings left behind. St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones says the city decided to shut down the camp because of public safety concerns. She says community workers and advocates assisted the city to make a bed available to every person there who wanted one. However, camp residents, including Sharice Jackson, say that's only a temporary fix. People are fed up from the top all the way to the bottom. But nobody has the perfect solution. So it's like, here we are again. The city postponed its first attempt to clear the camp in the early hours of Tuesday morning. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. A North St. Louis motel known for rampant crime is getting a second chance. The new owner of the Grand Motel plans to turn it into an emergency shelter for people experiencing domestic violence. Monique Buchanan is the founder of Eagle's Nest Domestic Violence Center. She says there will be security measures. If you've been a victim of rape, any type of violent assault, we want um, the Eagle's Nest Center to be a safe haven. We have hired 24-hour security. We have electric gates. We will have FOP cards. It's unclear when the new center will open. Buchanan made her comments yesterday on St. Louis on the Air. New rules for short-term rentals are going to the full St. Louis Board of Aldermen. A committee has approved the proposed regulations calling on operators to apply for a permit each year. The package also sets limits for some who rent spaces and it requires building inspections. The Post-Dispatch reports the city will be able to take down listings with too many violations. Some say the proposals are not enough to address noise and other problems in residential areas with short-term rentals. A recently retired Missouri Supreme Court judge is returning to the place his legal career began. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Littman reports on the new role for George Draper. Draper will become the first-ever chief training officer for the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office on October 23rd. He was an assistant circuit attorney for 10 years in the 80s and 90s before spending 29 years on the bench. Circuit Attorney Gabe Gore says everyone in the office will benefit from having Draper as a member of the senior staff. I can think of no finer role model for those who answered the call to service as an assistant Circuit attorney. Draper says although he has not been a prosecutor since 1994, he is aware that philosophies on addressing crime have changed. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. Republicans representing Missouri and the Metro East in the U.S. House are opposing the ouster of Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. 
Missouri Republicans contend Congressman Matt Gates's successful motion will empower Democrats. Gates was upset that McCarthy cut a deal to pass legislation keeping the government open. Congressman Mark Alford of Cass County says personal animosities played a role in McCarthy's ouster. When they didn't get things exactly their way, uh, that's what they did, propelled us to this moment in time where we are without a Speaker of the House. Democrats Emanuel Cleaver of Missouri and Nikki Budzinski of Illinois both voted to oust McCarthy. The Riverview Gardens School District will have a new superintendent next academic year. The district says Tanya Patton will take over for Joylyn Pruitt-Adams, who is retiring June 30th. Patton has served as an assistant superintendent at Riverview Gardens since 2020. Before that, she was a principal at two elementary schools in the Edwardsville district. Illinois State Senator Mike Simmons is trying to expand a recently passed state law prohibiting public libraries from banning books. Mawa Iqbal has more. Senator Simmons' legislation would bar school districts and private libraries from limiting access to books that depict matters of race, sexual orientation, or any other subject. People are running for office for school boards and school districts talking about banning books and erasing the history of black communities, black history, and communities of color from our curricula. So we got to get ahead of that. The bill stalled in the spring, but Simmons plans to bring it back in the fall legislative session later this month. In June, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a law banning public libraries from removing books due to partisan or personal disapproval. I'm Mawa Iqbal. When crop prices or harvests get low enough, the government sends money to qualifying farmers to get them through the tight years. It's a farm bill program called Title I. As lawmakers negotiate a new bill this year, farmers are pushing to get more Title I money. Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rembert reports on how the program began and where it is today. During World War I, farmers grew vast amounts of wheat, answering the call from the U.S. government to feed hungry troops and allies. This war is a people's war. The final outcome will be determined in the factories, the mills, the farms. When the war ended in 1918, demand went with it. Prices collapsed and farmers burned their grains as fuel instead of selling it for a low price. Many farmers went bankrupt even before endless dust storms started stirring up soil in parts of the Great Plains. The heart of the nation, the Dust Bowl. Millions of tons of sand and grit darkened the sky and smothered countless farms. Cattle were starving by the thousands. It was stark tragedy. You had this catastrophe on top of the economic catastrophe, which was driving farmers into bankruptcy and out of business. Jonathan Coppice is an ag policy expert at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and says one way the government stepped in was to pay farmers to plant fewer crops. It was an industrial model. Like, take Ford Motor Company. If Ford Motor Company is, has too many cars on the market and it's depressing prices, what do they do? Well, they lay off workers and they close plants and try to bring the supply back down. Ninety years later, the government still wants to help farmers through tough years. But now, instead of controlling supply, the government just pays farmers when crop prices dip below a certain level or revenue goes under a set amount. But it's been a while since prices went low enough for Chris Tanner, a farmer in northwest Kansas, to get one of those checks. I haven't received payment in probably the last four to five years. 
The reason being is the reference price is far too low. Reference prices are what trigger payments under Title I, the Farm Bill program that sends those checks. They're only set during Farm Bill negotiations every five years, and they're pretty low compared to today's high crop prices and costly farming expenses. Most farmers would go bankrupt before Title I support kicks in, according to Anastasia Meyer with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This is not going to save any farmers if prices really go downhill fast. Okay, so let's say that, for an example, we are... She's pulled out her laptop to look at a map with data on harvests, reference prices, and guaranteed revenue in southeast Nebraska. On average, farmers here would have to lose half their corn harvest to get $50 an acre in one program. That doesn't go very far when they're spending hundreds per acre to raise the corn. These are not making anybody rich by any means. From his farm in Kansas, Tanner puts it more strongly. Title I does not work. I kind of jokingly referred to it, if we don't get the reference price raised, it's not a safety net, it's a safety asphalt. They've been saying that for 40 years. Bruce Babcock is skeptical of raising reference prices after years studying ag policy at Iowa State University. He says it's a waste, especially amid high commodity prices that have boosted farm incomes. Look at the price of corn. Look at the price of soybeans. Look at the price of wheat. Babcock says the Title I money is no strings attached and doesn't even make a big difference in farmers' bottom lines. He wishes it was tied to environmental practices, preventing pollution, investing in butterfly habitats. You know, anything. You got a big budget, why not buy something for that money? But Coppice says there's an argument that Title I protects the food supply in tough years by keeping some farms above the waterline. It's relatively cheap social insurance, kind of ensuring that, well, at the very least, we're keeping some farms in operation and we, we shouldn't have the problem. Relatively cheap social insurance? That still costs billions of dollars annually at a time when lawmakers are eyeing spending cuts. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembrandt. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.